Turn to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's certainly one there in the chair in front of you, and we would encourage you to grab that. Take it with you if you need to, and uh, follow along. Romans chapter 15, start reading in verse number 7. Romans 15:7 Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud Him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me and Word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand." For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for all that we've learned in this long study in Romans, and we're, uh, we're drawing it to a close now, Father, and I pray that as we Uh, Consider some of these last personal comments from the Apostle. I pray, Lord, you'd help us. Lord, I pray we'd be able to make application of some of these things to our own lives. And I pray, Father, you'd teach us. 
I pray for myself. I pray, Lord, you would uh, calm my heart and mind, help me to concentrate. May the message that goes forth from this pulpit be accurate. May it be clear. May it be practical. May it uh, be successful in, uh, Lord, uh, just hitting the points that you want hit. Uh, So speak to us today. Uh, Fill us with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit that I might teach. Fill us all that we might hear. Give us ears to hear. And help us, Lord, today uh, to just receive your word. It is your word, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been in the book of Romans for quite some time now. This is number 38, I think, in the messages on Romans. And Lord willing, I think we have this one and one more after this. Next Sunday, don't forget, we have a missionary that's going to be in, so we won't talk about Romans next week. But then the following Sunday, we will probably wrap up this series on Romans. Today, I want us to look at this passage and talk a little bit about Paul's philosophy and plans. He's wrapping up here the longest instructional section in Romans. We mentioned uh, last couple of times that starting in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 1, he's teaching us here that Christians ought to accept and receive one another. And that truth he dragged out longer than any other single truth that he taught throughout the book of Romans. Christians ought to accept and receive one another, for God has accepted us all. We'll all be judged by the same judge at the judgment seat of Christ as believers, and so we can leave the judging of one another for that day. He also taught in there kind of a, uh, an opposite truth, which was that we ought to be extremely careful to avoid hurting or offending other believers um, who might not be as mature in their faith as ours. And so we're to accept others, not looking down on the choices they make in their sincere attempts to serve the Lord. We're not talking about sin here. We're talking about people who in their sincere attempts to serve the Lord uh, are making slightly different choices than we are. We're not to look down on them. At the same time, we're to avoid choices in our own life, in our own sincere attempts to serve the Lord. Again, not talking about sin here. Uh, That might trip somebody else up. So the first part of what we read here today is really tying back to that that we already discussed. It's kind of a summary of those two uh, passages that we already looked at earlier. In the first portion of the passage, he summarizes in verse number 7. And then in verses 8 through 13, he illustrates that whole truth. And he uses Jesus Christ as the illustration of that. He said, Christ is the ultimate example of that acceptance. Verse 7, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. John Walverd, in his commentary on this passage, says, The model of acceptance for Christians is the Lord Jesus who accepted us. The Lord received believers when they were not only powerless, chapter 5, verse 6, and weak, but also ungodly, sinners, chapter 5, verse 8, enemies, chapter 5, verse 10. So certainly Christians can receive others who differ with them on non-essential matters. So the first thing we read this morning was a summary of what we've already seen in that passage, and we'll just leave that right there. And then with that final example of Jesus Christ that he talks about there, he pretty much brings the letter of Romans to a close. Verse number 13 is a benediction. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest to you that that's basically the end of the letter. And if you are, you know, any kind of a student of the Word, if you're holding your Bible right now as you ought to be, you're probably saying, wait a minute, there's an awful lot more of chapter 15 to go, and there's a whole chapter 16 to go. How can you say that's the end of the letter? Well, most sources I consulted 
agree that that is the end of the main letter. Everything from that point on is basically personal in nature. If Paul had left all the rest of it off, his point, everything that he wanted to say, everything that he wanted to teach was complete, the letter would be complete. And what we have from this point on is basically personal information, a lengthy personal discussion. Uh, in verses 14 through 22, we get a glimpse into his personal philosophy of ministry. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. And then in verses 23 through 29, he shares some of his personal plans for his immediate future. And finally, in verses 30 through 33, he has a personal prayer request. And then when we get to chapter 16, the next time, we'll see that it's almost all a bunch of greetings and discussion of various individuals. Uh, uh, Again, personal greetings to them. So let us consider a little bit here this morning about this personal information that Paul shares for us. Let's, Let's look, first of all, at his philosophy, and then let's look at his plans, and then let's look at his prayer request. Verses 14 through 22, we have Paul's, what I would say, his philosophy of ministry described here. And I see two main components to his philosophy of ministry. The first, I would suggest, involves giftedness. Giftedness. Why do we Christians gather together every Lord's Day? Why do we do this? Why do we gather together and listen to some goofy guy stand up here and proclaim Why do we do that? Why do you sit out there and listen to me? Why do we have Sunday school classes where we have somebody who teaches and uh, Bible studies and things like that? Why do we do this when we're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when He is our ultimate teacher? And and basically, we, we, we don't really need teachers in that respect. So why do we do this? Paul has spent the greater part of 15 chapters in this letter admonishing and instructing a group of people that he's never even met. And in verse number 14, I think he's anticipating that exact kind of a question. He's anticipating people saying, why are you writing this to me, Paul? Look what he says in verse number 14. I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. I think we might paraphrase his verse there as something like this. I I know you're good Christians. Striving to serve the Savior. I know you have a basic understanding of the Scriptures and are well able to teach one another and help one another. I'm not trying to imply otherwise by this lengthy letter wherein I've been preaching to you and reminding you of things you probably already know. So why write it all then? Well, he answers the question in verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Because of the grace given to me by God. Because I have been gifted by God to do this. Because I have been called by Him to this task. Because of that, every chance I get, I want to faithfully use the gifts God has given me, and I must be faithful to the ministry He has called me to. You see, I think Paul knew that he had been gifted by God for this very purpose. And therefore, whether they already knew this information or not was irrelevant. He had been gifted by God, called by God, to do this. In 1985, I graduated from Midwestern Baptist College, believing that I was now filled with everything that you needed to be filled with and knew everything that you needed to know. I received a call to go to Ambassador Baptist Church and serve as their associate pastor there in Pennsville, New Jersey. I couldn't wait to be released upon this unsuspecting congregation and show them all that I knew. 
I mean, I just knew everything. What a gifted pastor I would be. I was so ready. And of course, I hadn't been serving very long at all before he showed me how little I knew and how desperately much I had to learn. And in the years since, I've grown increasingly convinced that I know very little. As a matter of fact, I know nothing at all compared to what I have yet to learn. But back then, fresh out of Bible college, a cocky, sure-of-himself little preacher boy, I went running out there and, uh, yeah. Well, one of the earliest experiences that I had in that church was a revival meeting. The pastor had scheduled a revival meeting, and he had an evangelist named Jack. I won't say his last name because somebody may have heard of him. He's a very good, very good preacher, and I think kind of well-known. But uh, anyway, the services began, and I began to admire this Jack. He was a great preacher. really was. Good speaker. Well, throughout the week, it was a week-long series of meetings. Throughout the week, uh, the pastor and I would, you know, gather with him for various things during the week. One time we were having lunch together. We're sitting around the table eating lunch, and the conversation turned to his preaching. And I don't, I don't remember who said it or what was said, but somehow the conversation turned to, boy, you, you really, you really, you're a good preacher. And he did not even pause. He didn't put his fork down or anything. He just continued eating, and he just very calmly said, yes, you're right. I have some gifts I can preach. And I have to tell you, that that statement offended my know-it-all preacher boy sensibilities because I thought to myself, how pompous, how stuck on himself he must be. Most people would say, oh, no, 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 that's it. No, he just, he's, yep, you're right. I'm a good preacher. Yep, you're right. I have some gifts. But you know what? I don't think that way anymore. I don't wonder where his humility was or I don't consider him pompous anymore because I, I think I've grown a little in my understanding of Scripture. And I think what he was saying was exactly right. He did have some gifts. And he was just simply trying to use them. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us today. He said to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, I think Paul's philosophy of ministry was rooted in this belief that God had poured grace into his life and gifted and fitted and equipped him for this very purpose, to minister to the Gentiles. And that included the people in Rome. Now, there's a couple ways we could apply that, I think, to ourselves. We could first apply it to those who are gifted. Perhaps this morning you have a gift that you're not using. We talk about this all the time. You need to use that gift. You need to use that gift. God gave it to you because it was needed. So whether you think it important or not, or whether you think it might be cocky for you to use it is irrelevant. God gave it to you. He gave it to you to use. And you need to use it. It needs to be a priority. But secondly, I think there's an application to those who are ministered to by the gifted. And that is that you need to receive it. You need to let them serve. I like what it says in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians there, he says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. 
I don't know, he may be saying a couple of different things there in that passage, but, but here's what I get out of it. you got somebody in your midst who is gifted and wants to serve. Let them do it. And you submit to that service. Years ago, I heard a sermon preached by a, a preacher, and it was about fat Christians. And he was not talking about the physical issue that some of us deal with. He was using fat as an acronym, and it means faithful and available and teachable. Christians need to be faithful. They need to be available. They need to be teachable. And, of course, some are not. Some who name the name of Christ are none of those things. They're not very faithful. They're seldom available, and they're plainly unteachable. Seldom, if ever, allowing the truth of Scripture to really inform their life. But if we apply Paul's philosophy of ministry to our lives, I think we see the need to be those things. And we see the need especially to listen to those gifted and to be ever teachable. So the first component of Paul's philosophy of ministry, I would suggest, is gifts and giftedness. The second is all about focus. All about focus. Firstly, he says those who have gifts should use those gifts. Secondly, he says the gospel should be preached where it has not been preached. He gave a little geography lesson here. He gave a little missionary report in describing his reasons for writing and his plans for coming to Rome, as well as why it had taken him so long to reach this very vital area and central city. He gives this report on where he's been to date in his ministry. Look at verse number 19. He says, From Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Illyricum. Anybody know where Illyricum was? Illyricum, from what I'm able to understand. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. Uh, One man said this area, also known as Dalmatia, corresponds approximately to modern-day Yugoslavia. And, of course, if you know anything about today's geography, you know that that's already dated. There is no Yugoslavia anymore. Yugoslavia is now, let's see, it's uh, the six nations of Serbia, Montenegro, Slovenia, Croatia, Macedonia, and Kosovo. So Paul is saying that he's reached all the way to that area. It's, It's a large area. And all he's really saying here is, I've been too busy to come to Rome. Because there have been plenty of places left where he already was. Places where the gospel had not yet been preached. And since his gifts and calling was about that, preaching the gospel to those who had not heard, he couldn't leave yet. In other words, he's saying to these Romans, I haven't come to see you yet. There's just been too much for me to do here for me to break free and get away. That's what he says in verse 22. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But then he says in verse number 23 that it's no longer the case. Now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. He's unfreed up now. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. Matter of fact, if you remember one of the very first, uh, probably the very first message that we preached from Romans uh, way back. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 11, he said, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He wanted to go to Rome. But up to this point, he had not had the opportunity to go to Rome because there was this great need for the gospel where he was that had kept him from it. And now, he said, that's no longer the case. He had, he said in verse 19, "...in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, fully preached the gospel of Christ." Now, think about what he's saying right here. Now, no longer having a place in these parts, verse 23, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, verse number 19. 
What amazing statements those are. Think about what he's saying. There was no place left in that area where his ministry had not in some way reached, where the gospel had not been preached. He was done there and therefore now freed up to journey to Rome. I think that's amazing. There is a statement, I think it's verse number 20, that sums up Paul's philosophy of ministry. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. I want to circle that in your Bible, especially that that one little part of the phrase, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. So we take all this together and we might state Paul's philosophy of ministry as this, I am called and gifted to preach and teach the gospel of Christ, and so I do it everywhere I can. And there are so many that have not heard that I concentrate my efforts on those who are such, those who have not yet heard the gospel. So how do we apply that? How do we apply that to us today? Can we integrate Paul's philosophy into our own? We've already made mention of the fact that if we're gifted, we ought to use them. And if we're blessed with those who are gifted, we should listen and receive it. But I think we can expand the application now, clarifying that the gospel is the central It was the focus of his ministry. I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. I don't know if you could find anything really that would sum up his philosophy of ministry more than that. I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. In all our programs here, every fellowship, every outreach, every sermon, every Sunday school lesson, every teen meeting, every golf outing, every ladies gathering, every men's Bible study, every singles activity, every deacon deaconess meeting, every elder session, literally in everything we do, the gospel must be the central thing. I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. We teach a lot here. We have a couple of different adult Sunday school classes, sometimes even more. And we believe feeding believers is a key component of the work that we do here. But it's secondary to the main goal of reaching the lost for Christ. The gospel is central. Years ago, I preached a sermon here in which I mentioned that the goal is the soul. It was true then, and it is still true today. The goal is the soul. That was Paul's guiding principle, and it's ours as well. I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Our mission statement as a church incorporates that philosophy. Go, make disciples, do it everywhere, and do it until Jesus comes. We need to go, and we need to keep going, and we need to keep reaching people for Christ. As long as there's others out there that have not yet heard. I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. The goal is the soul. This, by the way, is the reason that we still have altar calls in this church. Every Monday, we talk about this Wednesday night, every Monday of the world, I wrestle with deleting altar calls from our repertoire and removing them from our order of service. Because few things are as discouraging as standing up here and proclaiming the gospel and then having no one apparently openly respond when you extend the invitation. And I sympathize. I sympathize with the vast number of, of pastors, and I think they're probably the majority today who have given up on that and no longer give altar calls. Most of them will have some good sounding theological reason about why it's just not biblical or it doesn't work today. I frankly think that's nonsense. 
I think if you were to ask them and they get them to really be sincere with you, they would say they just got tired of standing there and nobody responding. And it was a discouragement to a large extent that uh, played a big role. But Paul says, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. That is his philosophy of ministry. The goal is the soul. And who knows when one lost soul will finally respond to that. Who knows if someone sits and and listens to the gospel preached ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times, and then finally it gets in there and they trust Christ. That's why the altar call continues. That's why the call goes out. Until... There comes a day that we, like Paul, can say no longer having a place in these parts, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ until everybody has heard and everybody has had an opportunity to respond. It must continue to go. And before I move away from that topic, since I've already gone there, let me say something else about the altar call. Let me talk for just a moment to the Christians among us. The ones who have received the gospel. The ones who right now are probably all nodding and internally affirming, yes, the goal is the soul. You who have prayed and prayed and prayed for lost friends and family. Let's just talk about this Easter season. You who sent out 2,500 invitations to attend the services on Easter in hopes that the gospel would be proclaimed and your friends and family who you invited would hear the gospel and, and, and respond and be saved. You called them and personally invited them to come so they might be here. Some of you picked them up and drove them to church and sat next to them, introduced them to other believers here, and in short, did everything you could, <laughs> everything you could think of, to get them where the gospel would be preached, they'd hear it, receive it, and be saved. And then the truth was proclaimed, the gospel was preached, invitation was given, and they did not move. And I wonder, at that moment, how many of you, those of you who are Christians, that's who I'm talking to right now, how many of you thought of turning to your friend and saying, you need this. This is why I invited you. I'll go with you. I wonder. And even more to the point, I wonder how many looked at lost friends and family into whom so much prayer had been poured and as so much effort had been invested and thought, there is one final thing I can do. I can step out. I can walk to the front and pray. I can pray for them. And maybe, maybe, if I prime the pump, maybe, if I step out and break the ice, maybe they'll see that I'm serious about this and this is important. Maybe they'll follow. I don't know. The goal is the soul. We don't give altar calls here only so lost souls can come and be saved, but also so saved souls can come and labor along with us in that effort. There ought to be more believers kneeling than unbelievers, I think. And I don't want to beat on this. I don't want to take this too far, but I struggle with this as your pastor. I really do, because I truly believe this is true. I truly do. And yet we see so little results during invitations. I know that I could play more with emotions. I know that I could manipulate. There's ways to do those kinds of things. You've probably all sat in services where that kind of stuff happens. But I don't believe in that. I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who must lead people to Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit must draw us to the Savior. So I don't want to do that. 
I want to be low-key in an invitation. And I want to let the Spirit work. But I also believe this. I believe with all my heart that if all of us who are saved would get hold of Paul's philosophy and would let it energize us even to a fraction of the degree it energized him, we would see revival in Randolph. We would see salvation in our homes and neighborhoods. This altar would be full. And soon we would be able to look around and say, there is nothing left for us to do here because it's all done. Well, just a brief word. Just a brief word about Paul's plans. I'll just mention it and we'll move on. Verses 23 through 29. Paul had the next part of his life and ministry all planned out here. Notice what it says in these, in these verses. It says that he first had a task to complete in Jerusalem. An offering had been received and he needed to deliver it. That's in verses 25 through 28. Second, he was going to swing by and visit these good folks in Rome after he had delivered that offering to Jerusalem. That's verse 24 and verse 28. And also in those same verses, he also mentioned that after he left Rome, his intention was to travel to Spain, which was the furthest westward point in the empire. That was his plans. Now, we do not know whether Paul ever reached Spain. There's no record in the Bible that would indicate that. We do know that he succeeded in delivering the gift to Jerusalem. And while there, he was arrested and dragged off to Rome where he spent two years in prison. So he made it to Jerusalem just as he planned. He made it to Rome, not quite as he planned, but he made it there. Did he make it to Spain? I personally think there's good possibility that he did, and let me explain why. You see, Paul was imprisoned for two years in Rome. The book of Acts ends with him so imprisoned. But he was released after that two years of imprisonment, and he continued his ministry. And eventually he was imprisoned a second time, and then died a martyr. His first imprisonment, and where the book of Acts ends, is he was imprisoned in a house in Rome. His second final imprisonment was in a dungeon in Rome. From that dungeon, and I have stood in that dungeon, if, if history is correct, the Mamertine prison in Rome, from that dungeon, knowing that his ministry was over, knowing that he was about to be martyred, Paul wrote the second of his letters to Timothy, and in that letter he said, for 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, it's not strong evidence, but some read that and argue that Paul would not have said he had finished the race unless he had indeed accomplished all that he set out to do. It's not convincing evidence, but it's at least a clue. And I tend to think it indicates that Paul did indeed make it all the way to Spain. We can't be dogmatic about it. But the application to you and I from his planning is simply this. We need to be flexible. Paul planned, but God had other plans. It's very interesting. He had things all figured out in his own way and in his own time. But, 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 but God worked things out in his way and in his time. But even when God chucked Paul's plans and things differently, it was still good. It was still right. And it still worked out to the glory of God. So we need to be flexible. One quick word about Paul's prayer and we'll be done. Verses 30 through 33 is Paul's prayer. So we see his philosophy, his plans, his prayer. Paul always knew that his philosophy of ministry, no matter how sound, was not enough. And the best of plans were just plans. They weren't enough. He always knew those important things needed to be wrapped in prayer. And so that's what he did here. He asks now, as he has asked in so many other places, brethren, pray for me. Here he says, pray that the gift I'm carrying will be well received. Pray that, my, that I will be protected while in Jerusalem, for I have enemies there. Pray that I will get to come to you in Rome. And pray that when I see you, 
I can be a help to you and you a blessing to me. Of course, God answered that prayer, but not quite as good as he expected. One commentator said this, all was granted. He was welcomed by the church. He was delivered from the fanatics by the strong arm of the empire. He did reach Rome, and he had holy joy there. Only the Lord took his own way, a way they knew not, to answer Paul and his friends. So let's sum it all up. In this personal section, this addendum to the letter, we see Paul's philosophy of ministry. We see his plans for the future, and we see his prayer request for himself and his ministry. But as I read the section, I, I, I cannot help but think there is this overriding thing, this overriding truth in, in all of those things, in his philosophy, in his plans, even in his prayer requests. It's the same. I still think there's one verse here that sums it all up and shows us the heart of this man more than any other, and that's the one we've already mentioned, verse number 20. So I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Why, Paul, do you so diligently use the gifts that God has entrusted to you? Because I have made it my aim to proclaim the gospel. Why do you work so hard and focus so intently in reaching every person and everywhere you can? Because I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Why do you plan so for the future? Because I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Why do you so often seek our prayers? Because I have made it my aim. To preach the gospel. And if we learn anything from this section, let's learn this. We need to make it our aim to. To preach the gospel. Because it is still true. The goal is the soul. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that these thoughts and comments are helpful to us today. Thank you, Lord, for the personal this glimpse into the personal uh, thinking of this great apostle. Lord, we know that uh, this, this probably is uh, just kind of an addendum to the letter. And yet, Lord, is such a glimpse into his heart, into his mind, into his thinking. And I pray, Father, we learn from it. Help us, Father, to make it our aim to preach the gospel. Not just from this pulpit, but from our homes, in our families in our jobs, in our schools, to our neighbors, to uh, just people we happen to come into contact with, wherever it might be. Help us, Lord, to make it our aim to preach the gospel. May we remember always and in every way that the goal is the soul. Help us to be like Paul in that respect. Lord, I don't know what the the hearts and minds of, of people are thinking right now, but you do. I know that probably in a crowd of this size, there's got to be somebody here who's never trusted Christ as Savior. And so I pray today, Lord, that if there's even one, young or old, uh, whoever they might be, maybe they're visiting today, maybe there's someone who's come for a long time, uh, whatever the reason or whatever the, the situation might be, I pray, Lord, today the gospel would get in there. Lord, we talk about the goal is the soul. And you said so clearly that what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Father, we know that we're all going to wake up someplace tomorrow. The only question is where. We know that a hundred years from now, we're going to be someplace. The only question is where. So, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who does not know for certain that that place would be heaven, that they have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray they would this day. Help them to be saved today. If they have questions, I pray they'd step out and let us take the Bible and show them how they can know. But let nobody leave here lost. 
And Lord, I pray today for Christians, however you might be dealing in our hearts. Lay upon us some soul that needs saved. Maybe we need to pray for. Uh, Lord, maybe we just have drifted from our focus. And maybe we need to be reminded once again that these are the central things. And maybe we need to rededicate our life to making it our aim to preach the gospel. Whatever the needs might be amongst your people, uh, some perhaps membership, some baptism, whatever the need. Work now, Father, we pray as we close our service. In Jesus' name, amen.